Open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we are in the final stages of our journey through the book of Hebrews. And so we are um, excited about these last two chapters because in many, in many ways we start to get a lot more in the practical. What, what does this mean for me now? What, what am I supposed to do with all of this information that we've been looking at is a lot of how chapters 12 and 13 hit us. And so we'll see today, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you three points because, you know, I, sometimes I like to appease the type A's in the crowd or the ones who are used to three points. Um, it just, it's sort of, sometimes certain texts actually do that for me um, naturally. And so I, when that happens, I just let it, I let it flow. Um, so a, a few things we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the Spirit's work. We're going to look at Jesus' example and priesthood, and we're going to look at God's discipline. Now, of course, I sort of made that into a, a Trinitarian, um, you know, three-point three thing, but I, I think this, these are some of the things that we'll see here. We can have encouragement to live with hope in this life because of the Spirit's work, because of Jesus' example and priesthood, and because of God's discipline as a loving Father. So we're going to look at these several things in our passage here in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 18, and then we'll go back and begin processing through those points this morning. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord." nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent. 
though he sought it with tears. So Hebrews 12, did I say verse 18? We only went through verse 17. That's all we're going to do. Um, Hebrews 12, this is a great and wonderful passage. I'm sure many of us have, have read this before and heard of these truths before. And so we're going to go back and, and look at them piece by piece. So back in verse 1, it says, Therefore, again, this is a, a hearkening back, a looking back at what's just happened at the end of chapter 10 and all of chapter 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and so you might ask, well, what's the cloud of witnesses? Well, it's Hebrews chapter 11. Name after name, example after example is given of who has lived by faith. This is what God desires from us. He doesn't desire us to accomplish everything that's, that needs to be accomplished for our salvation. He has done that through Christ, but He wants us to live by faith, believing that He has done and He will continue to do what He has promised. They believed in the promises of God, and now we, therefore we now can also believe in the promises of God just as they have. We're surrounded by this cloud. And, it, and it's not this cloud of witnesses that says, prove to me your worth. This is not a bunch of people in the audience in the stands saying, show me what you have now. This, this is not an all eyes are on you and if you fail, then we all fail sort of observation. This is a cloud of witnesses who have said, we have been faithful and they are there to encourage you. They are there to say, you can do this. They are there to say, our lives meant something. And sometimes our lives ended in great horror and tragedy. Sometimes our lives ended being sawn in two, being thrown over to that wild animals, dying horrendous deaths, some of these witnesses have gone through. And so they're not saying, prove yourself worthy. They're saying, trust in the hope that God has given to you through Christ. Trust in that hope and live your whole life trusting in that hope because He is faithful. We have gone through all of these difficult circumstances, not so that you can just sit back and relax and live your life how you want to, living your best life now in whatever way you deem worthy. It's live by faith. Be faithful to this God who has made these promises and who has acted in history on your behalf. Our lives meant something, these witnesses are saying. And, and now they are reaping the rewards of their faithfulness. We've been talking about this over the last several weeks. We have to be careful that we don't intentionally sin because we'll lose rewards. And these examples for us are people, they're not all ones who did everything perfectly. All the people in that list sinned and they did wrong things. And some of the best examples did bad things. It's not saying you have to be completely perfect, otherwise you don't get to ever see God and you don't get any rewards in any capacity. No, they're saying, look, God is faithful, and even when we sin, He is still faithful to us, and we can still trust His promises. And we can trust His promises to the point of giving our lives, because our lives are His as we live by faith. They're saying, these rewards are for you also. And so they're examples for us. They're encouragers to us saying from history, 
And this is what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit's work in history provides us with hope now. This was our, our first point. The Spirit's work in history, what the Spirit has done, what God has done in history, gives us hope now because we can look back and see how He was faithful time and time again through many different people and many different nations and many different circumstances. And He will be faithful to you now. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And so it says, let us also. It means this encouragement is real. God's word is living and active. This encouragement can and does mean something. These stories carry hope. And it's hope that we can have also. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, this weight and sin. We read one of, I mentioned the the book of the month this month is Church in Hard Places. Um, Several months ago, we did Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, it's, um, I've heard that it's the the second most distributed book besides the Bible. It has been for centuries an important work, and it's such a great example to us And it has such great imagery of what it looks like to live the Christian life, of what it looks like to walk down the paths struggling, of what it means to look forward and not look behind, of of walking and running on the path that God has put. And so Christian, in that book, what you see from the beginning is that he realizes that there's a burden on his back. There's a burden that he's carrying. There's a weight that he has, that he wants to get rid of, that he knows he needs to get rid of, but he can't get rid of it by himself. You see, other people don't always realize that they have a weight. They don't always realize that that they are carrying shame and guilt and a weight of sin on their backs. They haven't been willing to say, yes, I am a sinner. They haven't been willing to say, yes, there is evil in the world. Yes, I am part of that evil in the world. Yes, I have sinned and I have sinned and I'll continue to sin, but I don't want to. And I realize that that sin separates me from God and it is clinging ever so tightly to me. That this sin, this sin is active, that this sin is powerful, that we are against powers that are more than just flesh and blood, that we are against supernatural evil. And this burden is weighty. This burden of sin, it's tough to carry. And that burden of sin that's tough to carry, it weighs us down. It weighs down our conscience. It weighs down our joy. It weighs down our peace. As Christians, after we have acknowledged that we have sin in our lives, that that it has separated us from a holy and a good and a loving God, that we realize that Jesus has paid the price for that, and we can lay that burden down as Christian did in that book at the cross. We can lay lay it down because Jesus laid his life down for us. And so we are given an opportunity. And so then as Christians, it becomes a constant battle and struggle of laying down that sin every day. And, And the problem is, look, This author, he's talking to Christians. He's not just talking to say, hey, get rid of your sin, put it at the cross and become saved. He's saying, as Christians, 
we have a weight and we have a sin which clings ever so closely, ever so tightly to us. It is real and it is difficult to shake. Um, several years ago, when my, when my kids were younger, um, and, and some of you have probably experienced some of this before in your life, if you have small kids now or have in the past, when we try to go to work, I, I'd have to go to work, and so that means I have to leave the house, but, you know, my kids didn't want me to leave sometimes, and so, you know, they'd give you a hug, oh, well, daddy's got to go to work, and they'd give you a hug, and then they didn't want to let go, right? And they just, you know, and you're like, I can't get them off, <laughs> and I don't want to act like my, my kids are sin, <laughs> but it's such a great illustration of of what it means to cling. I mean, this is what sin does. It, it clings. And my kids, I mean, they're sinners, but, you know, <laughs> but they're great kids. But this sin is, is a serious thing. I mean, you have to work to try and get it off. Like, like it, it is there, and it will constantly be at the doorstep of your life, on, on your mind, on your heart. This is a constant battle. And it, and it clings. It's not just a something that is, is simply and easily forgotten. It's a struggle. I, I, don't, I don't think that he is saying in any capacity, this author, that it's nothing. No, no this, this is difficult. You read the Bible. You read about these people who have shown what it means to live by faith and you see how difficult it is in certain circumstances to make the right decision and sometimes they don't this sin is ever so present knocking on the door but the spirit's work the spirit gives us strength to run with endurance and what's interesting is we've been reading through the, the book of Acts, and, and Acts 1.8, whenever Jesus is having his, one of his last conversations with the disciples before he ascends into heaven, he says, wait, wait here, wait here in Jerusalem, and, and wait for what? Wait for the Spirit. You will receive the Spirit, and you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And you'll receive power to do what? To be my witnesses. You'll receive power to be like these other people, but not so that you can just be like these other people, but so that the Spirit's work can be evident in your life so that you can become more and more like Christ. This is what the Spirit does so that you also, let us also lay aside the weight and the sin like these other examples have done and cling tightly to the cross then. Let us run with endurance. Let us have perseverance. And this is a difficult, this is a difficult thing to do. The, the devil is crafty. And, and we must realize that God is on our side and the Spirit is the one who gives us the power to be able to forego this sin. He is the one who allows us the opportunity, who gives us the strength we need to say, no, I don't want to do those things. And yes, I do want to live by faith and be a witness myself to the promises of God that I have seen come true in my life and in the lives of others. 
I want to be one who proclaims those truths. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses all over the earth. Run with endurance. The devil is crafty. And God fights our battles as we do what we can. But sometimes it's really like, you know, um, I, I've used this example before, but there, there was a time when we went over a, a friend's house um, several years ago, and we were playing the Wii, and um, what happened was we gave the kids... Um, like one of the wheels that you could have with the Wii, but it didn't really have a working controller in it. I think it had a controller, so it looked just like, you know, it was kind of working, but it wasn't really working. And all the time, we were the ones behind them actually, you know, kind of steering the wheel, you know, with just the remote ourselves. Sometimes it's kind of what I feel like. Like, we think we're doing all of this work, and look at how awesome I am, and look at all the things that I've done for God. But really, at the end of the day, it really has been God the one who is doing this work. And he's not just a puppet master. He's not, he's not getting into our minds and all of a sudden, you know, we're not ourselves anymore. I'm no longer Stephen. This is God speaking and I'm, you know, doing this. And then all of a sudden, you know, he leaves and vanishes until the next time. It's not like that. But we've got to realize this is God, the one who is giving us the strength, the spirit, the one inside of us, giving us the power to be able to do anything positive, anything of worth and to be able to last, to be able to endure. We can win this battle today, but there's going to be another one tomorrow and there's going to be another one the next day. And that's why it requires endurance and perseverance. And this is not just the first time that we see this idea in the book of Hebrews. He has been saying this over and over again, where we need to endure and we have to realize that this is a, a constant attitude of living by faith. This is what the Spirit does. And this, what the Spirit does is He points back to Christ. He points us back to who has given us the opportunity and the ability to live by faith in the first place and then also to endure. And that's where we get verse 2. Looking to Jesus. Back in verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What, what is Our eyes are on the prize. And what's the prize? Looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. The founder and perfecter of our faith. And so we have the Spirit's work. The Spirit's work in history provides us now with hope. And now Jesus' example and Jesus' priesthood provide us hope now also. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He laid the foundation and He does the work of perfecting us. He laid the foundation, He's the founder, and He is the one who is doing the work to perfect His people. And now how did He found our faith? How did He begin our faith? What do we have faith in? Well, that's what he, he says there, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Skip down to verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is what Jesus has done. He has resisted to the point of shedding his blood for us. You read the account in the Gospels of Jesus the night before he was to be crucified, shedding blood for us as he's praying to the Father, not my will but yours, God, be the one that is done. He is the one who has founded our faith by his work on the cross for us. And that effect, that faith we can have in his endurance of the cross, in his paying the penalty for our sin, in us being able to lay down our sin onto him on that cross, him taking gladly, gladly bearing, right, is what we're saying in How Great Thou Art. My burden gladly bearing. That's what he did. He gladly bore our sin and our shame and our guilt in his body on that tree. That's what he did on the cross. He took that and he founded our faith by taking away our sin and by giving us hope, by giving us life. He's the founder. He's given us also, he's not just the founder, but then he's also the example we want to be like Him. We want, to, we want to be like Him. We want, to, we want to live like He did because He was perfect. And, and He makes us perfect. He, he is the perfecter of our faith. And that's what He says there in the last section of verse 2. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we have Jesus' example, and we have Jesus' priesthood. We've talked about this time and time again throughout the book of Hebrews. It is something for our minds to grasp, and then our hearts and our hands and our mouths to believe and proclaim that Jesus' priesthood means something for us now. That Jesus is now a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. We've seen a couple times the author has mentioned that. And this is important. And why he mentions again for the however manyth time. And he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is seated. He has done the work. Because other priests had to stand when they worked. But he's seated. And he's at the right hand of the throne of God. He is there having accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished in order to pay the penalty for our sin. And to give us a hope. And to give us life. To give us eternal life and he's there perfecting our faith he's always interceding for us we can endure we can persevere because Jesus is alive and he is actively caring for our souls as our great high priest so then we begin to look at how we are perfected by God the Father Himself. So we've seen the Spirit's work in history to give us hope. We've seen Jesus' example and Jesus' priesthood giving us hope now. And now, as we turn to verse 5, as we look at that, we begin to see God's discipline as a loving Father providing us hope now, perfecting us 
so that we might live by faith and put off sin. Verse 5, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. There is a picture that is in our society, and there is a picture that is in our church circles that our life is magically somehow supposed to be all rose petals and frolicking through the woods, not getting bit by bugs, and just living freely with no care and concern. There, there is this idea that life is supposed to be way more simple after you realize the fact that Jesus has paid the penalty for your sin and that he was raised to show that he had the power to pay that debt and that he has the power now to give you life. There is this perception that nothing bad will happen to me now, that nothing wrong is going to take place, that my life is going to be all rose petals and whatever other simple ice cream, I don't know, you know, unhealthy, totally inaccurate thing. But what we see here clearly explained for us is that God disciplines us. And He says, as you keep reading, verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. And and this is what I was getting to. Verse 11, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. When you become a Christian, when you believe that Jesus has bridged the gap that sin has created, between yourself and God. It does not mean that everything from then on is going to be perfect and simple and easy. You then begin a journey of great difficulty. And the reason why it's difficult is because there is sin in your life still that is clinging ever so closely to you, that is clinging ever so closely to me, that I can't shake simply and easily. There are habits that I have formed in my life. There are patterns that I have developed before I knew Christ and maybe even some after I I came to know Christ that are difficult to get rid of. Don't you ever find yourself having the same routine over and over again and, and just sort of naturally kind of progressing through the day Get home, you know, I I get up at approximately the same time because I've got to be to work at the same time. And then when I get home, I walk through the door and assuming nothing's blown up, then, you know, I I walk in the door and um, 
you know, and, and my kids will still be there and, you know, my wife's going to be there and my dogs will be there and, and then I'll go, you know, put my keys down and I'll sit on the couch and I'll look at my phone and, you know, I mean, there's a sort of, you, there's a routine. We, we all get stuck in, in routines and patterns and, and familiarities. I mean, how often do you do something completely different from one day to the next in your normal pattern of life? I mean, yeah, we can go on vacation. Yeah, you know, for a week we can get away and do some different stuff. But, but, but the everyday patterns of our lives, of our hearts, are difficult to give up, are, are difficult to change. And some of those patterns have brought with it sin. Some of those patterns themselves can be inherently sinful. And sometimes they're not inherently sinful, but sin can creep in because we're not as vigilant as we might should be. And so God, in His grace and in His mercy, as a loving Father says, you can't keep doing that stuff. And sometimes there are consequences to those sins. Sometimes there are consequences. And sometimes God wants to shake us up and say, I don't want you to continue living in this pattern of life that is not living by faith. And so as a loving father, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actively work in your heart and in your life. And for the moment, it doesn't seem very pleasant. This is difficult. This is not rose petals and ice cream. Not together because that would be nasty. But So God is actively working as a loving father. And it's meant to be constructive. This discipline, you think of what it means to be a disciple. And oftentimes we think of what good things can I do? How can I share the word of Christ with someone else? How, how can I begin to build a, a relationship with my neighbor so that I might share with him who God is? How can I start a conversation with my coworker so that, so that he might know the hope that he can have in Christ now and forevermore. We think of all the, all the good and wonderful, faithful, positive things. But being a disciple brings with it discipline, not just to do the good things, but also to get away from the bad things. And sometimes that discipline can come from our authority, and it can come in a constructive way. And... At the moment, it seems quite negative. At the moment, it's quite unpleasant. At the moment, that constructive feedback can sting a little bit. It can hurt. But it's for our good because He cares for us. God is treating you as sons. And even we as fathers, we know what it's like. We don't always just want our kids to obey just because it makes things simpler. We want them to obey because we want them to learn what is good for them and what's good for them in the midst of their interactions with other people. Share with your brother. Share with your sister. Share with your friend. Don't hoard it all to yourself. You know, I mean, these are things we try to teach them. And those can seem good, but we know clearly. Do you believe Verse 10, that He disciplines us for our good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that some of the things that you go through in your life, God puts there for your good, 
even when it seems at the moment painful and negative, and how can anything good come from this? And sometimes he uses quite difficult circumstances. Maybe it's a, a medical issue. And, and, and we have to see sometimes that it's not, it's not always, I'm doing this so you can find what's wrong in your life and in your heart. Sometimes it's simply so that we then, as we live by faith in those hard times, can be an example to others, can be witnesses to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of the promises of God, to the truth that God is a loving Father, to the truth that Jesus has done something about our sin and offered us eternal life, that the Spirit has been given to us so that He might work powerfully and actively in our hearts and in our lives so that we might grow and do good and be witnesses for Him. There are a couple of things there in verses 10 and 11. We mentioned that the discipline is for disciples and it's meant to be constructive. And it's meant, verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. So holiness. And then the second thing here, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Two thoughts there, that the holiness and peace, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Don't you find it difficult to be at peace when sin you know is clinging so closely and tightly to you? Isn't it difficult when you know that there's sin in your life and in your heart and you just kind of shrug it off? You just kind of skirt around the issue. It's brought to your attention and, and you're happy and content just to kind of, ah, I'll deal with that later. But in those moments, don't you find it difficult to have peace? God, God wants you to have a clean and clear conscience. God wants you to live in an attitude, in a knowledge that you are at peace with Him. And how difficult is that to be the case when we let sin continue in our lives? He wants us to produce a peaceful fruit of righteousness. He is leading us to holiness. And, and, and a couple of things that he mentions there in verses 12 through 18, as we begin to sort of wrap up here, a couple things that we might need to look for in our own hearts and lives. A couple of negative things, a couple of sinful tendencies alongside some encouragements. Let's read 12 through 18 again. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See those two words again? Strive for peace with everyone 
and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And here we have these couple things, these couple ways of sin. Verse 15 again. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Don't you find it difficult to have peace when there's bitterness in your heart? I mean, what more says I am not at peace with this world, with my circumstances, than when I know that there is bitterness here? When, when I don't care for the fact that this person got this promotion or that this person got these things or that this person has all this stuff that I don't have, we begin to build that root of bitterness begins to, to take hold. When I think, I don't, I'm not getting what I deserve right now. And all the while, we're, we're stepping further and further away from peace. From recognizing that I have all that I need in Christ. I have everything that I need in Christ. Do I believe this? Because if I believe that I have everything that I need in Christ then it's going to lead me to live by faith. It's going to lead me to do things that don't make sense to the rest of the world, that sometimes aren't logical, that sometimes I've got no idea how this is going to turn out. But, but I'm stepping out there because my heart is at peace. But when we're distracted by all of the things of this world, and especially when our hearts begin to become bitter, at how much God has done for this other person, how much He hasn't done for me, how much my life could be so much better if only this, if only that. That root of bitterness is something that we need to be cautious of because it can spring up and cause trouble. And verse 16 is, is the other one. One of the opposites of holiness that's mentioned over and over again. Verse 16, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. You see how he even kind of couples those two things in the life of Esau? Unholy, sexually immoral, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is a difficult and dangerous truth that we looked at a couple weeks ago. That if we allow intentional sin to be a part of our lives, at a certain point, God may and God can and God has, in His Word, we can read that He has brought people to a point where they could no longer repent, where they could no longer receive the rewards that He desires to give them as a good and loving Father. The discipline that they deserve for intentionally sinning over and over and over again brings to them an inability to repent anymore, to be able to know and to understand and to have peace because of all of the unholiness that has been allowed to fester and to grow. And that idea of sexual immorality, I don't think I have to explain this to anyone who has 
an ear to hear or an eye to see. It is all over available to us in this world. And so we need to be careful as we sort of started out with in in verse 1. It talks about the sin which clings so closely. Maybe these are a couple that have been something in your life before. Maybe it's something that is in your life now where you're not living at peace, where you are unholy because you're allowing something of a sexually immoral nature to, to be in your life. But overall, don't lose sight of the fact that we have been given the Spirit and the Spirit's work in history to provide us hope. That we have been given Jesus' example and Jesus' priesthood to provide us hope now. And that God and His role as a loving, as a good, as a mercious Father, as a mercious so mercious, as a merciful and gracious Father. So I couldn't even say it whenever I didn't even mean to say it. It's, it's totally in there. That God, as, as a good Father who loves His children, He works for us so that we can have hope now. We realize when He's at work in our hearts that we are His children and that He does want us to be like Him that He cares enough about us to continue that work. So we've been given the Spirit, we've been given Christ, and, and God is active in our hearts. Do you believe that this morning? Does that give you hope? I, I sure hope it does. I pray that it does. And so let's pray to that end. God, we thank You for this morning and the opportunity that we have to, to look at Your Word, to be encouraged by Your Word. God, you tell us to lift our drooping hands and strengthen our weak knees, to to square up our shoulders, put our shoulders back and, and realize that not that we have all the power to be able to accomplish all these things, but that you have already accomplished all of these things and we are simply reaping the rewards. We, we are simply experiencing the benefits of being able to look back and and know now and look forward to all of the promises that you have that you have fulfilled in Christ and all of the promises that you will that we believe that we know you will fulfill. And so I pray that we as a people would live by faith that you would help us to recognize our part in fighting against this sin that we would depend on your spirit. that we would look to Jesus' example. We would know that He is ever-presently interceding for us and that You love us so much to discipline us. God, help these truths to seek, sink deep down into our hearts and in our minds so that it might change us. God, help us to be more like You. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.